Hi everyone and welcome to the Spencer Lodge podcast in partnership with the awesome Najahi events. They bring people like Tony Robbins here to town to inspire and educate us. Check out the events coming up with Najahi in 2020 by going to their Instagram page, Najahi Events. Okay, you will don't you don't miss it. Really, it is important that you go check it out. Today on the episode of the Spencer Lodge podcast, we have an awesome and incredible and inspiring guest. She wants me to make sure I don't get her name wrong, okay? But I'm going to make sure I get it absolutely right. Pega Gaimi. Did I get it right? Very nice. Get yes. in! Get in! You <laughs> Very know, sometimes. Good. <laughs> Very good. We will be understanding uh, an awful lot about her background, her history, her movie making, and it really inspiring stories that she's had through being a, a movie. Is it movie maker? Does that sound right? You could say filmmaker. Your filmmaker. daughter's a filmmaker. Filmmaker. Yeah, my American maker. audience might need to yeah. see it. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, let's cut this all out. Cue the music. Let's get on with it. So, Pega, thank you so much for coming and spending some time with us on the podcast. It's obviously the most important piece you've ever done being on this show. Absolutely. You dropped everything, you cancelled everything in your diary just I to really be did. here. Yes, absolutely. It was really nice meeting you too. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It's really it nice. It was really nice. It was really nice downstairs. <laughs> I liked you a little bit more. No. Um, it's really nice to be here. Thanks for having well, me. Well, thanks for coming on the show. First of all, um, there'll be people out there that, that will know you well and there'll be people out there that don't know you. And in my audience, I always like my guests to introduce themselves and give us a couple of minutes of your background so that everyone can get a real good understanding of who you are, where you came from, and why you do what you do. So the stage is now yours. And I know you've got actor, you've been like, trained as an actor, so the stage is now yours. <clears throat> Tell my audience all about yourself. Um, okay, so I guess if I was to tell anyone about myself, I would start with my love of stories. And... I started telling stories and writing stories at a very young age because there were just things that you can't talk about. There are feelings and situations and emotions that don't make sense unless it's told in a visual way. So when I was a kid, not long ago, um, you know, you have access to pen and paper. So I started writing. I didn't know what else to do. I, could, I can't draw to save my life. Um, I could play music, but that still didn't. So... I started telling stories and then this love of stories then led me to theater, film, and the first thing I started to do was acting because it was the easiest way for me to express myself at that time. I didn't understand cameras and lights and I had no one in the film industry. Um, so I started acting and then soon after, um, I realized I wanted to be a filmmaker so I started applying for extra roles, being an extra on set, not the lead character, because I just, I wanted to learn. And my agent was like, you're crazy. We've got all these auditions lined up for you and all of this. And I was like, you know, I really just want to see how the mechanics of filmmaking work. So I just want to get paid, but sit there and watch. And then, you know, I became this fly on the wall. And it was beautiful. I loved it. I loved every minute of it because I, I just watched the way that people interact, this clockwork, this, the way that films and, and you know, productions come together. 
So then from that, I decided, right, it's about time I made my first film. Like you do. Like you do. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I wrote, directed, produced and acted in my first film. And then I I was offered a job to teach filmmaking um, at the place that helped me make my first film. And I was like, okay, well, I think I'm doing something right. That's amazing. So then um, I had an amazing job. I had just finished university. Um, I was bored. (laughs) And I thought, what do I do? I need to be in the jungle. And I thought, all right, what do I do from here? You know, I mean, we were making a lot of great films in terms of technically we were making a lot of great films, but the stories, which is what had started this whole process for me, was missing. So I moved to Iran. So say everyone knows, you're in Sydney first. So you grew up in Australia. I grew up in Australia, yep. Okay, so you... Amazing you, place to grow up. I will always be so, so, so grateful for my par- to my parents for that. But you are, you are Iranian by heritage. Yeah. Okay, okay. Were you born in Oz or you moved there when you... No, were? I was seven when we moved okay. there. So you went there, you studied, that got you into the whole filmmaking world. Um, but going to Iran, there's the, the, you know there's nearly 200 other countries <laughs> on, on the planet yes. that probably would have less kind of... Exactly. And I mean, everybody was like, you're crazy. You have an amazing job. You're in your early 20s. Why are you? You don't even know how to read and write. And I didn't know how to read, read and, and write. Read and write Farsi. I didn't know how to read and write Farsi. Okay, you could read and write. <laughs> I can yeah, read okay. and write English. <laughs> so I didn't know how to read and write. I wanted to make films. But there was this thing about the Iranian filmmakers that I came across, which were this raw storytelling style that didn't depend on technology. It depended on story and that's what pulled me there so i went to iran tapped into my acting got a lead role in a series not knowing how in to iran, read in iran not knowing how to speak farsi not knowing how and to was, read and write really and it was a farsi <laughs> it was yeah and it was the interesting thing about that was the uh, so i didn't Ooh. want anyone to know that i was a foreigner um Almost throughout the whole thing, everybody thought I was from the village because I have this strange accent. I'm very different to everyone. Um, and, you know, it took me a long time to read. So the director would give me the script. I'd take it home with the these huge two dictionaries, Farsi to English and English to Farsi. And I would rewrite it in English letters for myself. And then I'd practice it, you know. I mean, when you speak Farsi, especially when you're performing, it's a very different thing. Um, your jaw moves differently, the way you pronounce things, the way you... I mean, Iranians are very, you know, they're like Italians. They're very expressive. So um, anyway, halfway through um, the, the production, the director said, why don't you ever talk? I was like, what do you mean? I, I talk all the time. He said, no, in between takes, you don't talk to anyone. <laughs> you don't do anything. You just stand there and you like, it's like you're constantly trying to remember, you know, during, in between the takes. And then, uh, and, and, you know, I was the only, funny enough, I was the only character with a chador. I don't know if you know what that is. So yeah. in Iran, it's not like an abaya. It's, it's more like a, scarf. a long scarf. Yeah. And I was the only one. And he said, well, women in Iran 
don't hold it like that. Because in between the takes, I was like rolling it up and I was like, <sighs> you know, and he was like, no one has, I've never seen a woman hold it like that. And then they found out that I was from Australia and that. So then from there, I thought, okay, now I know how to read and write, kind of know how to write, but really know how to read. Um, let me write my first script. And so I wrote it in English, of course. And then I found a crew, amazing set of amazing How long did it take you to write people. a script? And was, how long was the, 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 the piece for? So the short the, film? Yeah, the first one I wrote was 15 minutes and it took me about six months. So it's a 15 minute production that took yeah. six months to write, yeah? Yeah, okay. well, mostly because I had to co-write it. So I had to have um, an Iranian with me, who, who, an Iranian writer, who could write it in Farsi and who, who I could explain, you know, because when you're writing, when you're writing, it's a lot easier than when you're actually trying to get someone else to write for you. Yeah, yeah. So it took quite a long time. But writing and pre-production quite, took quite a long time. And then we shot this film in the north of Iran. And in the north of Iran, people don't speak Farsi. So... <laughs> <laughs> Boom, I had the same problem. I mean, they speak Farsi, but that's not their main language. So they spoke a language called Gilaki. And uh, I don't know how I was able to communicate with them, but sometimes watching back the behind the scenes and they are speaking to me in Gilaki and I'm replying to them in Farsi. And today I can't understand anything they said. And I guess the one thing that this taught me is that language um, is not really about words it's communication is really more when when two people are exchanging energy and and their hearts are really talking to each other and that's really what happened in the north and that was the first time that i ever created anything in a language i didn't understand and um and we were able to communicate purely because i don't know you know, it, it was because we, 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 you know, there was a lot of heart in what we were doing. And the people in the village who were not actors, obviously, so I had, you know, I didn't have any money to pay actors and bring them to the north and, you know, um, give them a place to stay and all that. So then I cast people from that village and, um, and they were all brilliant actors by the end of it. You know, it's amazing when people get a chance to show show themselves. I was actually working with, with a doctor what, yesterday. What, what part of that process were you most proud of? Writing the script, getting it filmed, or having the opportunity to engage with those awesome people from that village? What, what pit did you, did you get the most out of? I think the thing I was most proud of was, and I remember this moment when I was sort of um, behind the uh, the monitor, and I actually cried, <laughs> and I had a you know I had I had the the this black sheet um, so that because it was so sunny, and I remember the two main characters were walking down this beautiful um, rice field, uh, tea, sorry tea field, this beautiful tea field, and I thought you know what. Back before I decided to come here, I could have only ever dreamt about this moment. And I would have only ever seen it in someone else's film. You know, and that was, at that moment, it, was, it wasn't just about the film, it was about the leap of faith that I took. And 
honestly, I really, I shed a couple of tears and thank God I was by myself and there was no one around. I was like, oh my God, this is such a beautiful <laughs> shot. Ah, I made it. You know, and that to me at that moment, it was making it. That was it. I didn't care what happened to the film. I, I mean, I cared how the film um, came out, but I didn't care if I, I was, you know, ha was going to receive awards for it or if it was going to go to festivals or not or if, what people. At that moment, I felt that I've made it. I made it. I did this, you know, and that Powerful was... Thing. So how many films have you made? Apart from, so probably I would say seven. And how many have you acted in? Two. Okay. And seven films that went from fiction then to documentary. Yeah. Yeah? Okay, we'll talk about that in a second. And you've won awards for the films that you've made as well. Yeah. The short films. Okay. And how do you feel about those awards? Are they validation? You know, for me, it wasn't about validation. It was more about um, the fact that someone out there that I don't know, that knows nothing about um, the process of making this film, got, that, got a message from it and they felt that that message was valuable enough to put it in front of an audience and then also put it up for an award. I think the most important thing for me, especially, you know, I'd gone to Iran because I had seen things in Iran that none of my friends in Australia knew anything about and I couldn't explain it to them. So when I decided to shoot in the north, it looked like country Australia. And my friends who saw this were like, what? This is green. This place is beautiful. That's not Iran. And, you know, and that and that that moment when that film then got out to the festivals and it won those awards, it really made me feel that, you know, now that film has a life of its own and that story has a life of its own and someone out there is getting it and there's a group out there that are getting it. I don't need to be there. I didn't attend any of the fe uh, festivals, by the way, because I didn't have the money because I'd spent all the money making the film. <laughs> so... Um, but, you know, it, it was out there and it was living a life of its own and it was sharing a message that I was very, very passionate about, which that film in particular is an anti-war film, even though it's called Members of the Resistance. It was actually about a family that decided to destroy their television and live, and live a peaceful life in the village. Um, wow. Without this intrusion of the wars and things that are going on outside and all of these things. And even though those people could one day well and truly be part of those wars themselves, why do they need to have this talking box in their house? Interesting. So tell me about, tell me about storytelling because it seems to be from the conversation I had with you earlier, plus the conversation we're having now, you, the nonverbal communication that you give to me when we talk about storytelling uh, is huge. You're saying so much to me when that, <laughs> the, just those two words are mentioned. It clearly resonates with you a lot and being yeah. a storyteller is something that, that, that clearly you're passionate about. Do you, do you regard yourself as a director or producer or do you look at yourself and say, I'm a storyteller, I'm just able to put that onto... 100% a storyteller. And that's actually, you know, I told you I, I started my own creative production, not production company, my own creative film house. Yeah. Um, and the tagline is, let me tell you a story. It's not Pega, you know, uh, 
production house, Dubai, you know, DXB, da da da. It's it is. Let me tell you a story because that is exactly what I'm passionate about. And I think that with we we live through stories. We have stories in our heads. We have stories, you know, between us right now. We we are telling a story together. Mm-hmm. There are probably multiple stories in this room. Um, everything about everything in this room tells a story from why you chose this mic to why we have that glass of water and not plastic bottles there yeah. to why I'm wearing a yellow jacket today. Yeah, right? we've still got that So, to. I mean, and we've, we've, we grew up with stories. Because when, sto- when, when, you, when you take stories, though, and, you, and you've gone from fiction to nonfiction, they're, they're <laughs> very different kinds of stories, aren't they? Yeah. Um, uh, you, you're, I, I'm, and you're the expert here, so if I get any of this wrong, just say that's wrong. But the, that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the, fiction, the fiction, you're creating the story. In the nonfiction, you're essentially telling somebody else's story. You're surrendering to it. I think that... In both cases, you're surrendering to the story. I think that there is a moment where even if you're doing a job, for example, you're running a company, I think there is a moment when you decide to surrender to what needs to happen rather than what you want to happen. Or even if you know that something, you know, so the thing about fiction is, and the reason why I love fiction is because it gives a different potential to reality so you could have you know a story and then it could the potential of where that story can go is infinite um with documentary it's also an infinite way you know there are infinite ways of telling a story um because ultimately it is through the eyes of the filmmaker but there was, you know, for example, for me, there was a time where, I mean, I really had to put my love of fiction aside to tell a story that I felt was telling itself. And I'm a medium. You know, I had, it was my responsibility to get this story out there. And then it got out to a huge audience. And at that time, I had no, again, I had no idea what, where it was going to go. I mean, I was never really the type of person who was like, okay, I need to be on the BBC or I need to be, um, you know, at this, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a, a Nigel, you know, I'm, I'm usually on my own. I like to stay in my cave. I'm happy that way. A Nigel. <laughs> yeah, it's an Aussie term. <laughs> it's a very Aussie term. <laughs> Loner. <laughs> It's an Aussie. It's an Aussie way of saying loner. Um, that's, that, I, I haven't said that word. No idea how much that resonates with me. There'll be people listening to this right now that will know exactly what that means. Okay. Have you heard that? You haven't heard that for ages, just, have you? We know, we know somebody that is one, but anyway. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> their, their name's Nigel. Oh, and is he a Nigel? Yeah. Is he a Nigel? <laughs> cut picture of Nigel <laughs> you know <laughs> flashback <laughs> or flash forward to Nigel watching this thing yeah, ah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> hilarious so, <laughs> so uh, yeah so I, I guess you know what you were saying earlier was um, a story about your friend and you were saying that you know it was just this thought that she had and, and this feeling of um, she felt responsible for something oh Maria Conciasau yeah um, I think that you know there's a defining moment 
in anyone's I don't like to call filmmaking my career I actually don't call it a career when people are like oh you're so career driven woman I'm like not really I'm actually a heart driven woman because I'm not really chasing what it means to have a career does that make sense yeah, yeah. Um, so you know I think that there's that defining moment for me it was the defining moment when I when I found this story about this woman and what had happened to her this girl really she was just 16 years old I thought how is how has all these people I mean when you see it on YouTube it's got millions of, of it's been seen by millions of people how did no one else ever think of doing anything about this mm. why am I the first one and I thought immediately, you know, I have to tell this story, not just about this girl, but about her people, because they've suffered. Explain that in a bit more detail so the audience can understand. What's the name of that piece and what's it about? Okay. So in 2009, I decided to go to Iraq. Is that how you want me to tell the story? Yeah. You can change the story if you want. Where would you like <laughs> me to start the story? <laughs> this is an interactive storytelling um, Okay, so in 2009, when the film that we just spoke about was doing the festival round, I was bored and I thought, what do I do now? And I came across the Yazidis on the internet and I found it so interesting because on one side they were so peaceful, on the other side they were dubbed the devil worshippers. And I thought, oh, how interesting, I better go find out, maybe I can make a fiction there. So then two weeks later, I was in Iraq and Kurdistan, Iraq, and I was amongst these people. And um, just being amongst them was a story in itself. I felt I've never made a documentary in my life. I wasn't even interested in documentaries. <laughs> I didn't even watch documentaries. Um, I thought, you know what? I need a camera guy. I need a crew. I need to document this. Yeah. And so that's where then the story about the Yazidis began. And then I stumbled upon the story of this girl who'd been killed by her people. And then How that, old was she? She was 15. And why was she killed? She was in love with an outsider. Uh-huh. And then when you kind of, you know, when you look at her people and you think, okay these amazing peaceful people that I also could my the Persian side of me you know because I have two identities so I have the Aussie that says Nigel and then the Iranian that says Nigel <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying you know then the, the the Iranian side of me the Persian side of me the Zoroastrian side of me really you know their religion is very similar to Zoroastrianism so I thought how how can these people kill their own like that she wasn't a monster I mean you could have just slit her throat you didn't need a thousand men out on the street to kill this one girl what does this mean why all this passion i mean in the you know in the caveman times you know men gathered you know 500 of them might have got to bring down a dinosaur this was just one girl so so just to make sure that everyone's clear on this she'd fallen in love with an outsider and the village the town the community decided that was unacceptable is that correct yeah and they decided to take the law into their own hands. Exactly. And take and the police life. couldn't do anything about it. And to take her life. And that was essentially that was all of the men in the town made that decision together. Yeah, the people of her community decided that you know what she needs to go. And how did they kill her? 
by stoning. So she was stoned to death. Yeah. Okay, which is... So, and there's video footage of this. And it's on YouTube. And that, that was the thing that I was like, this is, this is insane. What kind of a world do we live in? And I guess I had to be that girl that grew up in Australia that then came across this. Mm -hmm. Because maybe it's a very normal thing. And it is a very normal thing over there. In many places, not just there. So then, um, so then this, this story then really... How hard was it to tell that story, though, as you were... Oh, very. <laughs> it must have been incredibly emotional. Very, 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 very. Yeah, I mean, making a film is difficult. Yeah. Making a film like this is just torture. But again, I, I, I had made a decision to tell this story and I was going to tell it. And I'm now working on the feature film of this um, story which which then extends you know past and beyond and the girl's name was Dua which means prayer in Arabic and Farsi as well so so she <coughs> you say she was 15 yeah 15 years old and stoned you met her family yeah so I found her family um, in 2016 so seven years after I began this journey I finally found a family no one would introduce me to them and then I realized why, because they were not responsible for her death. Um, so when I went to her house and I was sitting amongst them, I was like, these people killed Dua. I've, I've been living with this girl, the ghost of this girl for like seven years, you know. It's not easy. I knew everything about, you know, because of her, I learned about her religion, her people, the plight of her people over centuries, not just what happened with ISIS, because this was way before ISIS even. Um, and then here I was sitting in her house with her mom and dad and her brothers and her sister. And I was like looking at her brothers how could this guy have killed his sister? You know, and then he turned around, he, he spoke English to me in the most perfect American accent, actually. And then his, her other brother was a dentist and her sister was going to university learning English and English literature. And her, her dad was so sweet and her mom was so... And I thought, you know what, these people have have allowed me to come into their house. What's their story? When they allowed you to come into their house, had they seen what you'd produced already? No. So they hadn't seen it. And when they allowed you, did, were they happy to talk about it? They were passionate. It was when... So, so when they started talking about it with you, they, when you said they're passionate, they were passionate as in they, they wanted to tell you the story. It's like they were waiting for someone to... Because the thing was, <clears throat> so it was all quiet and everybody was like, you know. And then suddenly her mom just came out and she just went, is the word I can use. <laughs> because she was like, who would ever accept the, the community to decide for you? Who would accept your, your daughter to be killed and then thrown in the trash? These are things I didn't know about, by the way. And, you know, and she said, you know, I hold this person and this person and this. And she started throwing out names of the people who were responsible. And I thought, I just spent seven years trying to find out. I should have come here I earlier. Come you know? place, yeah. But there was no way. I mean, in 2009, no one would introduce me to them. So Not one person them. was game enough. Yeah. I, I would. I, I couldn't find them. So they, they then tell you exactly what happened. They, they, they paint the picture. 
you're obviously now sat there in shock thinking, holy macaroni, I didn't expect this. You must have had an overwhelming amount of empathy for the family. Cried. I uh, cried a lot in front of them. Changed everything you were thinking because your, 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 yeah. your story about the situation was different to what you then found out. Her brother um, actually works for human rights. He works for NGOs. And um, him and I are still in touch. Like, we, we talk every couple of weeks. And every couple of weeks when we're chatting, I'm like, I could, this is surreal that I am actually talking. Like, mm. we are friends, mm. you know. Um, yeah, it was overwhelming. I mean, it was. I got really sick when I came back. I got the mumps. I think my system just went... When I came back in 2016, when I went to Iraq and I came back, I physically, mentally, I mean, I, I think I was uh, going through some kind of post-traumatic disorder myself, actually, for a long time. <laughs> and I think that it had started in 2009, and it went on for a long time. I just didn't know what it was. You, you essentially live that journey and that experience, don't you, while, you, while you're trying to create something you literally are living it you're not a fly on the wall in many respects exactly you're you're literally inside there have you seen sorry have you seen those films where the writer becomes the main character and like kills everybody in the whole time like he was writing about himself there's a there's a movie with johnny depp in it i think it's called um back window not rear window because that's a that's a hitchcock film uh, where basically this writer is writing this character and the whole time he's actually writing himself. Wow. And That's how it felt for you. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't want to kill anyone. <laughs> no, no, no. But, <laughs> but, but, well, I mean, the thing is, you do. You do live and breathe the stories that you tell. They ha- you have to. You're not a good storyteller if you don't feel, really feel what you're, what you're writing about or what you're, ma- you know, what you're making, the story that you're telling. You need to feel it. And Did luckily, I don't have a problem in that respect. Do you make films to make money? No. Do filmmakers make money? Yeah. Some of them make a lot of money. But do most? Have you seen all the Marvel films? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're the big blockbusters, <laughs> though, but do most? Um, well, it depends. There, there are content creators that make money. Filmmakers, are, it's a specific thing. So if you say filmmaker, that means you are telling a story that is not for an audience to buy anything but your idea. So, And when I say buy, I don't mean buy with money, but buy your idea, take it in. Um, so, but do you have to kind of like sell your soul to the devil to make long-form commercials and stuff like that and produce content for... You know, blue chip organizations to to pay the bills sometimes. Well, yeah, of course. But also, you know, for me, that's not really selling my soul to the devil. That's experimenting with with a lot of amazing new technology and telling a story with amazing technology, you know, that's available to us. Um, and, you know, understanding a different side of, of yeah, filmmaking. Yeah, but if you produce something for, I don't know, Coca-Cola... Yeah, and, and you do it with your heart and soul based around the premises they've given you and then you give it to them and they go, nah. And that has happened. Has it? Oh, of course. That's not right. I mean, being a filmmaker like I am, kind of, you know, a heart maker, <laughs> whatever it is <laughs> I said earlier. Um, absolutely. I mean, I put my heart and soul into, you know, but 
you know, as you mature, you go, okay, well, you know, this this piece only deserves this much of my heart. You know, I can't give it all of my heart. And this piece then can have a bigger part of my, my, my you know, emotional attachment to it. But I think no matter what you do, you need to have an emotional attachment because you know what? I have experienced failure when I didn't do that. And this was recent. Um, and I realized that that, that, was, that was when I sold my soul to the devil in that sense. And I failed because that's not who I am. There's a lot of rejection that actors face on a regular basis if they're going for lots of auditions. Yeah. Being a filmmaker, do, do you decide yourself what you're going to create and when, and you just have to work out how you're going to raise the finance to do it, and the rejection you deal with essentially is people going, yeah, but not actually doing anything. Is that is that, is that the world of rejection that you live in as a filmmaker? Yeah, and the rejection really is, um, it affects you in every way, because if you've decided to get a project up, you really have to give it everything you've got. That means time and money. It just doesn't mean your heart. It it physically means you have to spend a lot of time. You could be out there making the TVCs, making the you know the commercial stuff, or you could be here with a lot less money and having a lot less fun, <laughs> uh, but you're kind of pushing this. And then you, you push through and you get it out there and someone sees it and says, oh, wow. And then six months later, you still haven't received anything not even a phone call um so that level of rejection affects you on every level and well, that's I, why I, think, I think you know like you said earlier you write a script so you write a script and you've got to raise finance to get the production off the ground that script hasn't been written you know on the back a back of a I mean, cigarette box it's been something that you've kind of you've become emotionally attached to the script and so it's almost like people saying to you yeah you, you've created something but i have written we, scripts on the back of cigarette boxes <laughs> <laughs> the beginnings that, of, of of a yeah, script yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, to me it's like understanding that that kind of like people struggle with rejection and they struggle a lot and so but but they struggle with rejection they're selling a pair of glasses and somebody doesn't want to buy it and so they struggle with the rejection of that no but if they'd created the glasses designed the glasses made them the world's greatest glasses in their mind you know and then they're trying to sell those glasses and people say no that's a lot more personal yeah what do you mean you don't like my glasses it's not yeah. the, the and i suppose you've got to be in the same place this this script you've got to find a way to deal with that and okay. i think the best way to deal with that is to understand uh so when you're for example when you're acting you have a role within a world so even if you're the lead actor or actress or the protagonist of a film or a play or a story you fit into a world that world needs to you need to be in that world at the right time at the right place for that world and you to work when you have a script or a story or something you're very attached to when you pitch it to people it's not that rejection is not about you it's about them it's about where they are and what they need it's about what kind of story do they want to tell and do you fit that yes or no that's it I mean, for me, and after many, many, many tears, it took me a long time to come to this realization that, you know what, the reason why 
this film because for a long time I'm Yazidi wasn't getting out there. I was pitching it to everybody. And then suddenly the BBC took it and they replayed it 86 times in four languages. You know, it's, and, and that was where the story was meant to be. And that's the story that Mary Wilkinson, the head of content, that's the story she wanted to tell. So the story she wanted to, to, to tell and the story that I wanted to tell found this perfect marriage. And it wasn't because I'm a better storyteller than the person who was making a film about, I don't know, clowns in Syria. It was maybe because my story, I was good enough to be there and my story fit. Mm. So it's, it's really, um, you've got to learn and being a woman and getting rejected, it's a double whammy, like it's really hard. Because That's as a, a woman, sexist. you don't. What are you trying to say? Well, as a women, woman, you women, don't grow up with more feelings than men. <laughs> of course. How dare you? <laughs> but we don't. You know, we're not raised to understand rejection. We're raised as you know, especially maybe my generation, and you know, we're supposed to be. You know, we were supposed to be the hunted. We were supposed to be that prize. We were supposed to be, so we were never supposed to, I mean, I'm not talking about my family because my parents were not like this. I'm talking about Disney films, what we have been taught as, as girls growing up. It's, you know, you are that prize at the end. There is no rejection. What do you mean rejection doesn't exist? You know, so when you do get rejected, um, it can be very personal, but it really shouldn't be. And you should just, you should really just push on. And if I'm Yazidi is um, an example of that, it's really... Uh, how, how do you measure the success of a, of a film? How, how, is it, how is it measured in your mind? Um, for me, it's how many, you know... When you say measured, I have to think of numbers. So I guess in terms of numbers, it would be how many people did it touch, how many people understood it, how many people did it potentially change, how many minds and hearts did it capture, um, how many thoughts did it engage, and possibly how many minds did it, did it open. Um, so that would be my, my, my way of measuring. And, and I guess then that turns into how many festivals did it go to, then how many people saw it and how many awards did it win and, you know, how much money did it make and did it get released in the theater or not? And did it win an Oscar? But all of those things really go back to that first point And it's really how many people was it able to touch, engage and Do change. Do you find yourself being critical of other people's work? I try not to be. <laughs> I try to. Most people um, think, you know, oh, why did he shoot it like that? He should have done it like this. I always try and think, okay, why did he or she shoot this scene in that way? That I want to understand their choices. I want to understand the message they wanted to to give. And immediately, you I mean you know, you can tell the difference between a well-made film. You don't have to be a filmmaker to understand, you know. And and like I said, we we are born and raised with stories. So we we understand the mechanics of a good story before we really understand that we're understanding, we're not conscious of that. Mm -hmm. So what is your ambition? Where do, where do you want to go? Do you think you've reached, reached your, your place? Or if you, do you think that 
there's a long way for you to go. I mean, what, what is it? You're I don't about? feel like I've reached where I want to reach. Definitely not. But you've been really successful. You're really I hope yeah, so. you're a multi-award winning filmmaker. <laughs> you know, I know we. There's can, that word. Okay, you've had you, <laughs> you've had your movies at festivals. Okay, yeah. you, you've got huge respect and admiration for the work that you do from respected organisations like the BBC, like you've mentioned. So whatever you might want to think and play down and have that <laughs> old kind of, like, oh, I've not got anywhere yet. You've, you've done really, really, really well. Thank you. So, but, but, but what do you really want to achieve? What's your ambition? Um, I think it's a very good question because it's something I haven't thought about for a long time. I think... My ambition is to be able to tell a story on a mass scale. That means it can come in many forms. It can be in a cinema. It can be a play in a market. It can be, um, you know, but, but I want to be able to tell a story that's going to open people's minds and let, you know, help them understand the other. And I think the that... Other what? The other person, the other religion, the other gender, the other, you know, because I think that we all have a fear of the other, which turns into hate. And I I think right now we are suffering. The world is suffering because of this. And I see it within my own people, whether it's Australians or Iranians. Um, You know, we we have this, this ignorance. And I really want to make a film that is going to... Um, help people see a side of themselves that they haven't dared to yet. That's my ambition. Wow. <laughs> I don't know if that's what you were looking for, but that's what it is. That sounds epic. <laughs> Tell me about stuff that you've got in the works you're about to make or you've started making. What have you got? Okay. What can we look forward to seeing? So, well... Yeah, give me the scoop on everything and don't hold anything back because I want everyone in the audience to know that you gave us the scoop here on the show. Well, I don't know. There's some of it I can't really talk about just yet. Yeah, you can. Uh, No, I can't. (laughs) Okay, so there's a reality show that's being created right now. Is that the one you asked me to audition for? Yeah. Okay, right. Okay, got it. You did really well in the audition, by the way. <laughs> um, so there's a reality show. It's, it is based around cooking, but it's not about cooking. It's about uh, people and cultures. And, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's really about tolerance and how much we are able to tolerate each other um, in a place like a kitchen, which is my kitchen. It's my food you will not you know so it's it's really like about territories and identities and so I turned a very commercial thing <laughs> into a very philosophical one <laughs> and um, so that's that that's one thing that I'm working on um, I'm doing something for Formula One so that's another thing I'm working what you on I'm uh what am i doing i'm telling the story of formula one uh to the audience through i can't tell i can't say too much that's the thing why not it's my thing formula one's my passion oh is it yeah can you okay well nico roscoe's coming on the show in a couple of weeks time oh wow well there you go i might meet him before you (laughs) um karen who works for me um in germany her husband just accepted a job a couple of months ago and works works with nico now so Okay, 
fine. I'm, I'm gonna, you beat me there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fine. You win. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, tell me, tell me, tell me. I want to know um, everything about that right, right now. This so, well, um, I have we'll, to see what I can say. We'll delete, so the I'll be covering we'll, delete, we'll delete this from the podcast. Maybe, possibly. Possibly. No, no, no. you won't. You won't. Look at that <laughs> smile. No, of course not. She's even shaking her head. Oh, my God. Okay, well, I could, I could be telling the story of Formula One to an audience that are not, um, don't know Formula One, and I'm the perfect person to tell that story because I know nothing about Formula One, really. No, oh it's not. How dare you? Well, now I know it's not. Now I know it's not because I've been doing my research and I'm like, this is really interesting. Oh my God, the tires, the weight of the driver, all of these things that play this, you know, so it's really interesting. So I guess in my field, I do get to learn about a lot of other things. Like for a while, I was really um, an expert on steel because <laughs> I was telling a story about this steel company. Um, so that's the other thing I'm working on. I'm also doing a couple of things for On DXB, which is. Um, did she tell us enough about the Formula One then? Did you, didn't she give us away? I think it was more. I think I think it was too much. I think it was more than enough. <laughs> I think it was more than enough. I wanted more. Okay, what do you want to know? No, it's okay. Okay, good. <laughs> um, so for On DXB, I've got a uh, showcase, and it's called "Let Me Tell You a Story." And uh, myself and the audience in those 45 minutes put together a story. And we have a storyboard artist and a musician on stage with me who will, uh, well, the storyboard artist will draw the story and the musician will then add, you know, you know sound effects, boing. You know, we don't know where the story is going to go. Yeah, we yeah. have no... He creates sound effects to tell the story. Or to add well, to the story. I'm telling the story. Okay. And then uh, the storyboard artist is... Oh, yeah, okay. I know what you mean. And so the the audience choose three characters and they choose a setting. Yeah. This is a real test for me. (laughs) And they might even choose a genre and then I have to start telling a story. And the storyboard artist, kind of like a cartoonist, will just sketch. And as I'm telling the story, the musician will also add, you know, melody or sound effects or whatever he sees fit. What's the name of your company? Pega. That's what so it's creative. <laughs> I named it after myself. What can I can't really talk? The Spencer Lodge podcast. Exactly. Like <laughs> well, you know, I think it's it's good to name it. You know, because for me, I don't. I'm not a production house. I'm not there to make. Um, you know, to to um, offer cameras and equipment to people and crew. I'm there to tell, help you tell a story or tell my story. So when people know they are contacting me, they are contacting me. They will get me or someone like me in the future, hopefully when the company grows bigger, (laughs) you know, and then there'll be other storytellers and why not? And finally, when you win an Oscar, Will you remember me? (laughs) (laughs) Would you come back on the show and show me it? Absolutely. I'd love to. Is that really? I held an Oscar. Are you held on? I I went to win one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, of course. Would you like, is it something that that would be an ambition of yours? I think so, because I think that um, to win an Oscar, it's not about... As I said, it's, it's not about that trophy because that trophy, really what it means is a lot of people saw it, a lot of people felt it, and a lot of people changed or 
didn't change. We're, they just, we're impacted. You were able to, well, yeah, you were a, maybe you were able to tell a story that people feel but didn't know how to, how to tell. Mm. Or, you know, uh, when I first watched Lord of the Rings, I remember sitting in the library and reading it at like 12. And I was like, this is exactly how I imagined that. This is a perfect way to tell this story. And it, it, I felt fulfilled. I didn't make the film, but I felt fulfilled, you know. So to win an Oscar, is, that's what it would mean to me. That's very cool. Thanks. Cool person. Have you enjoyed being on the show? <laughs> yes. Thank is this you. it or do you want to know more? I think we're done for now. Okay, all right then. <laughs> <laughs> but if you'd like to come on and tell us more, what I'd like to do, if it's possible with you, I, I'd like to get out of here and come out on set with you and spend some time on set with you where you can talk through what you're doing and we can make some... some um, interesting content around a day in the life of what you do so our audience can learn better would that be okay yeah absolutely would you guys do that yeah, yeah that would be that? fun well, yeah that'd be really fun and i think that the let me tell you a story thing is really the way that a story st starts coming to me when i first write it so if i can find you footage of that when you do this i can mm. give you that as well Pega, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really thank appreciate you your time me. coming over to see me in the pouring rain of Dubai today. Yeah, it was just beautiful today. Beautiful to me. There we go. <laughs>well there you have it an incredible interview with an incredible and talented and adorable lady pega gamey i've said it right again get in um look uh, lots of the content that i produce you will look at and think about the inspiring story but then you have to look a bit deeper really and understand what kind of stories are out there and where you can take value um, from these types of information and today getting pega on the show has given me the opportunity to learn more about an industry but also more about some of the journeys that she's been on that most of us won't have gone on most of us won't really be able to identify with and we've all seen stuff out there where there's been people that have, have gone through challenging experiences in their life or with you know people have faced ridicule or, or shock and horror but to know somebody that's been here on the show that's been into places like iran and iraq and learned about what she did and had to kind of like deal with that and tell the story that goes with it for me is truly truly inspiring 